So we're continuing, as you see, to make our way through the book of Acts. I'm hoping to finish up our study in Acts uh, by the end of July when we head off to uh, the UK. So we're on a course to uh, finish things up there. So, so today I want to uh, just look at the, the passage that we read over. I want to zero in on um, just a particular portion there. Uh, but, but before we get to that, let me just... Um, Give a little background here. Uh, Paul has um, left what we understood to be the intellectual capital of the empire. You remember he was there in Athens. So now Paul has left Athens and he comes to another great Greek city and that would be the city of Corinth. Um, The city had an ancient history but it, it was destroyed and then rebuilt in uh, 46 BC by none other than Julius Caesar. And it became the capital of the province of Achaia. So that that area there, which was known as ancient Greece, was divided into two provinces, Macedonia and Achaia. And and so Corinth is the, the capital of the province of Achaia. It was a commercial center it was wealthy, uh, very proud of its culture, and notoriously immoral. Um, above the city uh, stood the temple of Aphrodite, or also known as Venus, uh, the goddess of love. And there were, it, it is said, a thousand female slaves who served this goddess, and they, they roamed the streets nightly as uh, prostitutes. So someone said that, that Corinth was the, the vanity fair of the Roman Empire. And indeed, it seemed like that was the case. Culturally, it was a bit uh, like modern-day Manhattan or uh, Amsterdam, kind of similar cultural things, especially in regard to uh, sexuality. And so uh, Paul comes to Corinth, and so here we read, uh, there's a, obviously a healthy Jewish community there. He goes into the synagogue. He, um, as his custom was, as we've seen, he um, seeks to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, as is also sometimes the case, there's a opposition and rejection by the Jewish leaders. And so at a certain point, Paul just decides, you know, the opportunity in the synagogue is not bearing much fruit. And he kind of pronounces a judgment on them. You know, from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And he literally moves to a location right next door to the synagogue. And there we read that he continues his ministry and it was in the house of justice. And then uh, verse eight tells us that Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, he actually did come to faith. So there's opposition in the synagogue to Paul, but the ruler, Crispus, his heart is soft. He comes to faith. Later when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he mentions that he baptized Crispus. And so he carries on his ministry there from uh, the house of justice. And then we have this, this really interesting 
vision that Paul has where the Lord appears to him. And that's what I want to really focus on this morning. But, but before we land there, just you know, right on through to the end of the portion there, the story uh, about uh, Gallio, the proconsul. And because we know historically when Gallio was the proconsul of that area, we can set the date here at about between 50 and 52 uh, AD. And um, Gallio was a, a, a well-known and actually a loved politician. His, he was the younger brother of a man named Seneca. And Seneca was well-known in, in Rome. He was a philosopher. He was close to the emperor. And um, so there's, there's much written about um, these people in history. And so here we see that that overlap where we've got Luke, the, the biblical historian, and he's talking about these uh, officials and you know, rulers and people. And, and every time Luke records these things, he is 100% accurate. As a matter of fact, uh, Luke has really kind of come down as the most accurate of the ancient historians. And, you know, if you think about it, you would understand that he would be. Of course, he would have no reason to not be honest. Um, Plus, Luke is an inspired writer of Scripture. And so the facts that he records are indeed facts. But in, in the vision that we read about there, the Lord says to Paul, he, he tells him not to be afraid and to keep speaking and so forth. And he says, for no one is going to harm you. But yet we see that, that Paul is dragged before the courts. But the interesting thing is what Jesus said was true. No one did harm him. And, and this incident actually uh, liberated Paul from uh, further persecution like the kind of persecution that he had had previously. See, what, what these Jews were trying to do here, um, they were trying to get Gallio to um, identify Paul's faith, the Christian faith, as an illegal religion. Now, in the Roman world, Judaism was a legal religion. It was recognized, and therefore it was protected. So the Jews are trying to separate what Paul is preaching from Judaism, and basically they're accusing Paul of breaking the law, but Gallio doesn't buy it. He says, no, 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 this is is a Jewish issue here, and so I I don't want to have anything to do with it, and in refusing to identify the faith that Paul's preaching as something separate from Judaism, he basically secures the faith and puts it under uh, the protection, in a sense, of the empire. And so this, uh, again, Paul was not harmed in this, but again, this paved the way for many years in the future uh, for the faith to not come under official Roman persecution. Now, it would at a certain point under Nero because Nero was insane and you know, he was looking for a scapegoat and the, the church became part of that. But, but it's an interesting kind of historical fact here that it was through these events that happened um, that the advance of the gospel was secured and Paul personally 
was secured. But like I said, that is just the background to the story. What I want to zero in on is the vision of the Lord speaking to Paul. Now, let's remember the background. Paul was in Philippi, and what happened to him in Philippi? He was arrested and he was beaten. Uh, From Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, and there he was persecuted and driven out of town. Uh, He went to Berea, and a similar kind of a thing happened, and so he has to flee to Athens. Now, in Athens, he wasn't persecuted, and yet, remember, Athens was just kind of a, a layover. It was just there very briefly, and then they come to Corinth. And so you can imagine that, that Paul, who is, of course, very much human, like all of us, you know, there's a point where you're just like, I can't take this persecution stuff anymore. <laughs> you know, um, I, as, I, as I'm reading over this, I'm thinking, uh, Paul was, was probably weary And he goes into the synagogue and he meets that same kind of resistance that he had experienced in those previous places. And remember, it it was the Jews in those other places that incited the mob against Paul. So he can, in his mind, he could just see this whole scenario happening all over again. And so apparently this was causing Paul to perhaps consider just moving on. Uh, just not rocking the boat, you know? I'm just gonna be quiet, mind my own business, get out of town as soon as I can. There, there was something going on in Paul's head because in the vision, what the Lord says to him indicates that there were those kinds of thoughts that were transpiring. So look at verse nine and 10. So the Lord spoke to him in the night by a vision. And he says, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. So again, I think from that we can read into it that Paul was being tempted to be silent. He was being tempted to, um, um, because because of fear, to just uh, not continue his mission of preaching the gospel. But the Lord says, do not be afraid. And then he says, for I am with you. I am with you. Do not be afraid. You know, I think of the many, many times in the biblical text where we find these very words. Do not be afraid. The Lord always reminding us over and over again. The old way to put it, it would be fear not, for I am with you. I think of those many passages in the Old Testament And, you know, as Christians in a hostile environment, which most Christians have lived in a hostile environment throughout history, um, there there is that temptation toward fear. And fear of rejection, fear of even persecution. And yet the Lord says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid for... I am with you. And this must have been so encouraging to Paul at this moment. Just that reminder. You know, sometimes when you're going through things, the the fundamental things that we know, sometimes we just forget them. Like the Lord is with us. 
So, you know, of course we know the Lord is with us, but yet there are times because of our circumstances, we, we forget that and we just need that reminder. We need that reminder that the Lord is with us. You know, I was, I was telling our team uh, in regard to the event yesterday, we've, we've done that. I can't even remember how many years we've done it. I think it's close to 15 years we've done that event. So we've had all different kinds of experiences down there doing that outreach. Um, and yet, as you know, in our current cultural climate, things are, things are considerably different than they were uh, in, in years past. And I, but I was telling them yesterday, there was something, and everybody agreed, there was, there was just this really interesting sort of peace over the whole event uh, throughout the day. And there were some crazy, you know, things that went on. One of the guys on the screen, I was, wow, we got, a, we got a little video of that guy who got carted off to jail by the police because he was crazy and he was disrupting. Um, but, you know, relatively speaking, it, it was calm. But all that to say, so I just felt like there was this, this real peace from the Lord over the thing. But I felt like the Lord was saying to me and to us, Keep walking through the doors that I'm opening for you. Don't worry about uh, all the chatter going on in the culture, all of the, uh, you know, oh man, you know, Christians, you can't say this and you better not say that and you better watch out because you're going to get in trouble, you're going to get sued, you're going to get put in jail and, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, that stuff's just so much in the air these days. And I just walked away feeling like, you know, the Lord's with us. And uh, come what may, we're just going to trust him. And when he opens a door, we're going to walk through that door. And, you know, uh, you know, we were on that platform yesterday. And, I mean, nobody was holding back. Nobody was, uh, you know, shy about what we were down there to do. We were telling people about Jesus Christ, that he's the Lord, that he's the Savior, that he's the answer to your problems, and that sin is what's blocking you from a relationship with him. And so, you know, it was just a reminder to me that the Lord is with us. So do not be afraid. I am with you, the Lord says. Speak and do not keep silent. Speaking, we have got to speak. And you know, the devil, he wants to silence the voice of the gospel. He wants to silence the voice of the church. And if you think of church history, and if you think of uh, you know, church history in the past hundred years or so, uh, man, he has you know, done a, a really good job of silencing the voice of the gospel in different places of the world. I think of all of those years of the, the um, influence of the Soviet Union back in those days. And all those countries were, were basically, to a large degree, the gospel was silenced. And that was their goal. That was their ambition. They, they destroyed the churches. They locked up uh, the, the leaders, the Christians. And they, you know, deprived people of the Bible. They didn't, they didn't, want, um, the, they didn't want the gospel going forward. And the, the same is true today in the remaining communist countries. Uh, the same is true throughout the Islamic world to a large degree today as well and has been. And of course, there are voices in our culture here in the West that are similar voices. They want to silence uh, 
the message of the gospel. <coughs> but we cannot keep silent. We have got to speak. And we, we've got to speak and not just, you know, we've, we've got to live as well. We've got to live lives that are consistent with our Savior and with our message, absolutely. But we got to do more than that. You know, some people say, well, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking to anybody. I just, I just live a good life and, you know, eventually they'll maybe figure it out that they should be a Christian too because they saw my life. Well, they should be able to look at your life and say, oh, there's something there that I, I, I'm interested in. But for all they know, you're just a nice atheist or a good Buddhist or something like that. Uh, you have to speak. You have to tell people. You have to talk to them about the faith. And that's what the scripture reminds us over and over, uh, of over and over again. Because remember, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So people have to hear God's word, and we are the ones who are going to communicate that. Now, all of that said, here's the, the real uh, focus that I want to bring us down to today. It's what Jesus said at the end here. He said, let me read it again. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. Here it is. For I have many people in this city. And the reason why I want to focus on this for our main point here today is because this is so, um, what's, what's the word? It's like, it's so counterintuitive maybe, or it's just so the opposite of what you might think. Remember, we talked a little bit about the background of Corinth. So think of that backdrop and then this statement. I have many people in this city. See, we would be tempted to say, man, that's a wicked city. We don't want to go there. There's bad people there. There's all kinds of sin there. What would you go there for? Well, because God has many people in those cities. The Lord has people that he intends to save in those places. And quite honestly, for a few generations, many Christians, especially in our uh, nation, uh, you know, there, were, there, were, there was a flight out of the cities. Get out into suburbia. Get out into a place where, uh, you know, life isn't hectic or crazy or dangerous or ultra sinful. And, and, you know, we understand that on the one hand. But when everybody vacates the city, then sin proliferates. But there are people in the city that need to hear the gospel. And that's the, the situation here in Corinth. And the Lord reminds Paul of that very thing. And so as I look at this, I think this is really, um, it's a statement of an unexpected mercy. Now again, some people, and, and even the apostles to a certain degree before they really understood the program of Jesus, remember when sometimes when they would encounter sinners, they would think the solution is to just 
uh, call down fire from heaven. Remember James and John? They thought that. They went to Samaria. The Samaritans didn't really respond uh, to Jesus the way they thought that that uh, they should. And they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven just like Elijah did? And Jesus said, well, actually, no, I don't want you to do that. Uh, (laughs) The son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He said, you guys don't get it. You you don't understand what what spirit you are of. And we can be like that too. And I think there, there have been seasons in the the history of the church and recent history where we have been like that too often, where our thought is that, man, fire needs to come down and consume them, but the Lord's thought is, no, I want to save them. See, it's an unexpected mercy. God's heart toward sinful people is a heart full of mercy. And I think when you look at Corinth in particular, there's another verse that I think that you could, um, you could kind of just use it to summarize what, uh, what God's perspective on Corinth was. And it's, it's something that uh, Paul said in writing to the Romans. He said this, he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded, that means where sin overflows. He said, grace overflows more. And so Jesus says to Paul, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. And today, the Lord says to us, don't don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of, of what's happening. Because I, I still have many people that I want to reach. You know, um, later, of course, we have the two letters to the Corinthians that Paul writes. And in both letters, but particularly in the first letter, you really get some really good insight into uh, the background of Corinth. You get a good insight into what the people were like and how they were living, because a lot of that stuff they were engaged in, they brought it over into their lives in the church. So Paul had to deal with them. If, if you've ever taken the time to think about 1 Corinthians when you're reading through it, um, you, you would be shocked at how uh, much of a parallel it is to the things going on in our uh, culture today. I, I've often said this about 1 Corinthians, and I'm actually thinking that maybe after we do Acts, we'll, we might go there because it's so relevant. But, you know, in... Um, Back in the, the 1500s, the 1600s, uh, the, the, big, the big issue back then in the Western world was the, the dominance of, of Roman Catholicism over, over all of the culture and a, a religious system, a legalistic system. The gospel is lost. Uh, nobody knows how to get saved. Nobody knows that you're saved by grace through faith and all of that. So... Um, the, the word of the Lord for that period of time came primarily through uh, Romans and Galatians uh, as well, but, but Romans even more so. And, you know, when you study the book of Romans and you, you put it alongside of what was happening in the world at that time, it's like, man, this was the perfect word for 
that time because it's a restatement of the gospel. And it's, um, you know, all of those things about uh, salvation by grace through faith and all of that. Now, fast forward to today, and obviously Romans is still extremely relevant, uh, but we don't live so much in a religious context like they did then, where Romans seemed to really fit and hit. Uh, but man, when you look at the culture and you look at 1 Corinthians, think, wow, this, this letter, which obviously was applicable to the people he wrote it to, it's very applicable to us today. So let me just remind you, Paul, in writing to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? <clears throat> do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the key verse. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That list, I think we can all agree, that's the world we live in. That's our world. And you know, it has been our world. Uh, I, was, I was listening to a podcast the other day that I, I listen to frequently. It's very good. And uh, it's very informative, you know, looking at the world through a Christian lens, um, assessing the news and so forth from a Christian worldview. And I listen to it almost every day. It's great. Uh, the guy who does it is brilliant, PhD, just amazing, amazing man. He's a Baptist. And sometimes, I, I, you know, I, I, I listen to what he's saying, and, I, th and I, I have to realize suddenly that, oh, that's through the Baptist lens right there. So he's, he's looking at culture, you know, from a Baptist lens. So, so he's talking about, you know, the stuff that's happening in the culture today that's crazy, and, the, you know, the sexual revolution that's going on, and, you know, the same-sex issues and transgender, all, all that stuff, it, you know, comes up so frequently because it's just in the news all the time. Um, but, you know, he's talking about how, from his perspective, and this is what I'm getting at, from his perspective, he sees this as just, in a sense, sometimes he communicates it in a way like it's just suddenly come upon us in like the last 10 years. And I think to myself, I think, well, apart from the big emphasis on the same sex thing and the transgender and all of that, no, this is exactly like the culture was when I was 17 years old. This is all of the stuff here. I think this has been in our culture for a long time. And, and I remember when I became a Christian and after a while became a Christian in the late 70s and, you know, in the 80s, Ronald Reagan came and, uh, into the presidency and there was a moral majority that rose up and it was kind of a, uh, kind of a moral shift from the 60s and 70s uh, here in the country. And I remember back then I started hearing this stuff about America being a Christian nation. And I'll tell you honestly, I thought, 
Really? This is a Christian nation? That thought never crossed my mind when I was growing up. I never for one second thought I was growing up in a Christian nation. Now I understand that we're talking about you know, foundational principles and things like that. But all I'm saying is when, when I was a teenager, there was nothing Christian around me. There was nothing Christian in my family. There was nothing Christian in my circle. There was nothing Christian in the life I was living, the people I was hanging out with. Uh, we were these people right here, right here, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. <laughs> we were those people. But listen, here's the problem. We forget that we were those people. And when we forget that we were those people, guess what? Then we're going to forget that the solution for them is the gospel. That God doesn't hate them. That God doesn't want to destroy them. That God doesn't want to judge them. That's not God's heart. God wants to save them. And man, Paul, who, you know, this guy is the Jew's Jew. He's, you know... He's all of those things, but he has such a radical uh, transformation in his own life that Paul can walk into Corinth. And like I said last week with Athens, not everybody could have gone to Athens and, and done what Paul did. And you know, not everybody could have gone to Corinth either. I mean, for some people, it's like, hey, no way, the temple of Aphrodite is there. Man, there's prostitutes all over that place. You know, stay away from there. There's lightning's going to strike it. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be nuked. Don't want to go there, Paul. That place is already set for judgment. Jesus says, no, I have many people in that city. You know, back in the 80s, um, kind of the, um, the lightning rod for all of, you know, the weird sexual stuff and everything was, was San Francisco and still is in many ways. Uh, but I, I, re I remember back in the 80s, um, I think I probably... From the pulpit, I, I probably expressed a desire that God would just, you know, rain down fire and brimstone on San Francisco. And then in the 2000s, something happened. My daughter had a job in San Francisco, and her and her family lived up in the Northern Bay Area. And my prayers for San Francisco radically changed. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on San Francisco. Lord, just keep long-suffering. Oh, God, pour out your spirit, because my baby girl's there. I don't want anything to happen to her. But you know, sometimes that's what happens, right? We're, we're just so detached. And we, but here's the problem. We forget. We forget what we were. And such were some of you, Paul says to the Corinthians. And so this is the case for us. And so in our current cultural moment, we are like Corinth. That's what America has become. That's what the Western world has become. All of that stuff that was so much a part of the culture in the first century where there was no gospel, we've just gone back to that. It's like the... The, as someone wrote a book years ago called The Gnostic Empire Strikes Back or The Pagan Empire Strikes Back. We're back to the pagan world. That's where we are today. But remember, it was to the pagan world that the gospel went. And so just like the gospel was the answer to the pagan world in the first century, the gospel is the answer to the pagan world in the 21st century. 
as well. And we cannot forget that. The gospel is and has always been for sinners. You know, there was a time in the church's life, and there, you can still find pockets of this today, where somehow the mentality is communicated that the church is for good people. And there are still people today that would say, well, I, I couldn't go into a church or I wouldn't go into a church because, you know, I'm, I'm really a bad person. Some people would still think that way. How, here's the question in my mind is, how did we ever get to that place? How did, it, because that's like completely flipped over from what the scriptures reveal. Because according to the scripture, Paul himself, he says that, uh, he says that Christ through him has demonstrated uh, his, his kindness, his long suffering, all of that. Uh, Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. And it's through God having mercy on me that he's set forth an example to everybody else. Basically, Paul says, what Christ is showing through me is if I can be saved, anyone can be saved. That's what he's saying. So somewhere along the line, we, we forget this. And we have to be reminded of these things. We have to go back. The gospel is and always has been for sinners. And so instead of throwing our hands up in despair at the proliferation of sin in the culture, we need to get on our knees and cry out to God and ask him to save many. Then we, then we need to get up from our knees and get the gospel out. That, that's what we're to do. We're not to, to sit around lamenting uh, the past. We're not to sit around and think, oh, you know, for the good old days, you know, for the whatever happened to the cleavers and whatever happened to, um, you know, those, those, well, those really nice people, you know, the Ozzie and Harriet and their clan, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that was never a reality in the first place. It was just fantasy. So we need to get the gospel to people. And you know how we do that? We do it not by name calling and finger pointing, but this is really how we need to understand it. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. See, a lot of times people don't want to hear the gospel because it's not really a gospel because gospel means good news, but the way it can be presented sometimes, it seems like anything but good news because it's, it's with a raised tone and it's with a pointed finger. And, you know, whenever we're doing that, and, and there was a time in the culture that we could get away with it, but you can't get away with it anymore. But it never really worked that well anyway. We are sinners ourselves, right? And such were some of you. So I'm just one beggar telling another beggar, hey, here's the bread. <laughs> I found this. You can have this too. You know, I, I have had, you know, times where we're preaching, we're doing like events like we did yesterday. And, you know, people have come up and kind of critically said, you know, man, you need to you need to be more forceful. You know, you need to, 
you know, preach against sin and you need to do all of this and that. And, you know, well, I, I hopefully I'm going to do what the Spirit of God puts on my heart to do. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, but I, I don't think that's the way to do it. Many years ago when I lived in London, we used to do a lot of street ministry. And I'll never forget one day we were in this place called Leicester Square. That's where we would normally go out. We'd do some music and then we would share the gospel. And we would get crowds, you know, good crowds. Sometimes a couple hundred people would gather around. And, uh, but I, I remember I was standing up there and I was sharing. And I saw this, like this double-decker bus pull up and stop. I saw the driver get out. And he walked to the back of the crowd and he just stood there. And for the next, you know, seven or eight minutes, however long it was that I was speaking, he was just looking right at me. And, you know, of course you can't help but wonder, well, what, are we blocking his way? I mean, what, you know, what does he want? Why is he back there? And he just stood the entire time and then we finished up and the crowd dispersed. And as the crowd dispersed, he came up to me and he said this, he said, you know, I've lived in this city my whole life, and I've heard a lot of people doing what you're doing out here today. And he said this, he said, but this is the first time I didn't feel like I was being talked down to. I felt like I was being talked to just on that level. And you know, all of these kinds of things, of course, they, they teach you things, and you realize that, wow, okay, yeah, because, you know, I can talk down, too. I mean, I've done that, for sure. But it doesn't really do anything. And so, as we close, we just have to remember. And such were some of you. And so, we're just beggars, telling other beggars where the bread is. And the bread is where? The bread is the bread of life. The bread, it's Jesus. And I think that even though it might not look like it on the surface, God still has many people in this culture that he wants to save. And he has many people in places that we would think, oh no, there's nobody in there. Though, no, those people, they're, they're too far gone. No, that's not true. It would have been easy to think that about Corinth. But Jesus says, Paul, keep speaking. Don't be silent because I've got many people in this city. And so what did Paul do? He did uh, what Jesus told him to do. And it says there that he continued there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. And I'll just say this in closing. And I, I said it before. I said it just recently. You know, people don't know God's word. They don't know what it says. They really don't. They think it says stuff that it doesn't say. And we can tell them, like Paul did, about the love of God, about the mercy of God, about the grace of God. Dave Manny was telling me yesterday about a baptism, uh, about the baptism. And two, two ladies came down, and they were in a relationship with each other. And one of them was moved to be baptized, and um, the other one was, you know, kind of kept her distance. But, um, you know, Dave, Dave said, in, in only a way Dave could do it, um, he said to the other one, he said, ah, oh, come on down. Come on down. You're going to feel it. It's going to be great, you know. 
And he said, she didn't, she didn't be baptized, he said, but she came kind of the water's edge. She watched the baptism. And then at the end, she said, I felt that, that you were talking about. And she said, I feel like there's a lot of love here. Wow, a lot of love here. That's what, that's what people, you know, that's what people should feel because there is a lot of love. It's God's love. God did, you know, today, I mean, you know, so many people, uh, so many people in the gay world, you know, the first question they ask is, well, why does God hate me? Whoever said God hated you? The devil wants you to think God hates you. God doesn't hate anybody. God loves everybody. He loves us so much. He's not going to let us stay the way we are and destroy ourselves. He's going to save us and do great things in our lives. So, Lord, help us to understand where sin abounded, grace abounds much more. Thank you for these words. Thank you for Paul's experiences there in the city of Corinth. Thank you that we can learn from these things. And Lord, as we find ourselves living in a world that is very, very similar to the one we're reading about here in the pages of Scripture, help us, Lord, to not be afraid and to remember that you are with us. Help us to not be silent, but to speak. But help us to speak gracious words. Lord, not finger pointing, not ranting, not name calling, but just telling others, the other beggars where the bread is found. In Jesus' name, amen.